Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Do you have a vibrant, growing, and intimate relationship with Jesus and with your Heavenly Father? Jesus declared that the more we love Him, shown by our obedience to Him, the more we will experience His love and the love of our Heavenly Father. Jesus even said that if we obey Him, showing our love to Him, that He and our Heavenly Father will come and make their home with us. They will be at home with us. They will be comfortable with us and we will experience their presence in an ever-increasing way. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 14 and look at this incredible privilege of loving and obeying Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It's a Sunday afternoon here in Texas and Hopefully y'all are just loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus. Um, as we're going to talk about today in John 14, we're going to finish John 14 today, Lord willing. And as a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And his primary task is to reveal and remind you of Jesus, to remind you of what the Gospels teach us about Jesus and to drive you into deeper relationship, deeper intimacy, and deeper obedience to Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the, that's the meaning of life. And the more we do that, the more fullness and joy and peace and blessing we'll have in this life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So today we're going to finish up John 14, um, verses 22 to 31. Just been, uh, it's just been good stuff. Jesus is still in the, he's still in the upper room. He, they're in the, um, you know, it's, this is the last supper. Judas is gone and he's still teaching his disciples these principles. Um, at the, uh, you know, when he concludes this present discourse, verse 31 is going to say at the end, come now, let us leave. And as we move into chapters, you know, 15, 16 and 17, he could be speaking these things as they're getting ready to leave, um, you know, as all the, you know, dozen people there are getting ready to, you know, to, to get their stuff together and leave. We're not really told, you know, where chapters 15, 16 and 17 occur. Again, it, it could be some in the room. It could be some on their walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness on our lives. We thank you that we have this Bible, Father. We thank you that we have the, the Holy Scriptures. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and, and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, living a perfect life for us, entering this world for us, Lord, that we would have your words here, we would have the Holy Scriptures, these words in red that you spoke, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for dying a, a torturous death for us, and we thank you that you're alive and risen today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. We ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, John 14, 22 to 31. Then Judas not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? 
Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father, and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So he's continuing the discourse, and you know one of the uh, one of the disciples, Judas, and John goes out of his way to say, "Not Judas Iscariot." I believe it's Matthew um, who names uh, this disciple as Thaddeus as well. So apparently, he went by Judas or Thaddeus. Um, and but John goes out of his way to say, "Not Judas Iscariot," because what. What Judas Iscariot had done was so unthinkable in his betrayal of Jesus that, that, that John just wants to make it clear that it's not Judas Iscariot. Now, already in the last chapter, Judas has left. It's already clear that Judas isn't there. But again, um, you know, John is whatever, 50 years, 50, 60 years later is when he's writing this after this event happened. But it's still so, you know, burned into his mind. That even though he just said, you know, and again, there were no chapters when John wrote this, obviously, but even though he just said whatever 30 sentences ago that that Judas had already left and it was night, um, he still wants to make sure to not associate this Judas with Judas Iscariot. Um, Have mercy, Lord. Wow. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Again, we see in these questions that the disciples felt that they could ask Jesus questions. We felt they felt like they had relationship enough with Jesus that they consistently asked him questions when they when you know they didn't understand some things. Um, Jesus said he's going to reveal himself to them, that the Spirit of God's going to come and basically carry on the teaching that Jesus began. Jesus' response in verse 23 is is a very profound verse. I mean, they're all profound, but but listen to this. Uh, John 14, 23, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. You know, it's a verse that's that's very rarely talked about, you know, in the church today. Um, 
because it's a hard verse because it it very clearly ties the love of the father to our obedience okay now it's important to understand that that god the father has a love for all his children that's what's called an agape love it's the greek word for love agape that means an unconditional love it's not a love of because of but a love of in spite of this is something different here um our heavenly father loves us unconditionally just like as parents we love our children unconditionally but there are deeper levels of love even with our children although we love them unconditionally when our children are living in a way that's 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 a proper way and a right way and an obedient way and a godly way and a way that's pleasing to us our love for them has a deeper dimension so to speak right um, so when Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. That's a sentence, right? If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. So we see here that love for Jesus is not defined or measured by our words. It's not measured by going to church, although that's certainly a good thing. Our love for Jesus is not measured by, you know, standing and raising our hands in worship and praising and, and worshiping him on Sunday morning. Uh, or, and again, that is a good thing. We ought to do those things. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Love for Jesus, how much you love Jesus, is clearly defined by the lifestyle you have, moment by moment, day by day, in obeying the word of God. To the extent that you obey the scriptures, to the extent that you repent and are convicted when you fail to obey the scriptures, is the extent that you love Jesus. Um, again, that's not a, a, a popular message in the church today. Um, I, I don't even I don't even like it, right? Um, but. Of course, it should make sense to us, right? It's good for us to use the words and say, I love you. I use the words all the time um, to people and to Jesus. Um, but love for Jesus, just like love for your spouse or your children or anything else, is certainly in your actions, right? Um, and again, our words are important. The, the, uh, the affirmation of our words are important. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. So we cannot say that we love Jesus if, if we don't have a heart and a desire and a lifestyle of obeying what he said in the Bible. And really the whole Bible is the word of God. Now the words of red, the words in red are the words that he spoke, you know, when he when he when he when he came into the world, you know, and you know, lived his perfect life for three uh, 33 and a half years. And the words we have are three and a half years of his ministry from 30 to 33 and a half. Um, but again, we cannot say that we love Jesus if we do not have a heart to do what he says, right? Was it Luke 6, 46? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Again, just because we say the words doesn't make it so. Jesus is saying that to the extent that you do what I say is the extent that I'm your Lord. Now hear me, 
We're not talking about salvation here. We're not talking about the forgiveness of our sins, the salvation of our soul. We're not talking about going to heaven here. We don't go to heaven by anything we do. We don't go to heaven by any of our own works, any of our own actions, any of our own obedience. Okay? Um, going to heaven is entirely based on Christ's love for us, on what Jesus did for us. Right, Scott? Um, that's how we get to heaven, by trusting and relying on Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. You go to heaven, John 1, 12, to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. It's by putting your full faith, trust, and confidence in Jesus Christ alone, knowing you're a sinful person, knowing you're hopeless, desperate, headed to hell, and only Christ can rescue you, that's how you go to heaven. It's not by anything you do, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast, right? Um, so the Lord isn't going to have anyone, excuse me, boasting before him in heaven. So salvation and going to heaven is a gift, a gift that we freely receive by believing in Jesus, by trusting in him, by relying on him, by receiving him into our heart as our Lord and Savior. If you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're not sure that you're, that you're, that you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, you can you know, just stop now. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not our words that save us, right? What Romans 10, 13 is saying is that, you know, we use our words to communicate our heart to the Lord, right? It's when you come before Jesus and humbly acknowledge before him that you are a hopeless and desperate sinner, that you are indeed a sinner. The Bible promises. God has given his word that all 8 billion people in the world are sinful. Every human being has done wrong. We've all had wrong thoughts, spoken wrong words, and certainly done wrong things. And because of that, we're, we're separated from God the Father, right? Isaiah 59 says we're, we're separated because of our, our sin from a holy God. It's when you acknowledge that acknowledge your separation, acknowledge that you know that you're hopeless, you're helpless, you're desperate, and that only in Jesus Christ can you be rescued from eternal hell, have your sins forgiven, and ultimately spend eternity in heaven with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And out of that heart, you genuinely and sincerely call on him, right? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Out of that, that desperation, you call out Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God, Lord. And I know that I'm a, a sinful person. I know I cannot save myself. I know I'm hopeless and helpless and desperate, but I do believe you're the son of God. And I believe that you, you came and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin, and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and hope and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God.
That's how you become a Christian. Now, again, I always warn against this. It's not just puppeting words that saves us. It's, it's just our genuine acknowledgement, our humility in acknowledging our desperation and hopelessness and running to the foot of the cross and receiving Jesus Christ, placing our full trust and confidence in him alone and communicating that in a genuine heart and in as much you will be saved, right? Um, so again, if you're not sure you're a Christian, pause the tape, back it up, use the words that I gave you. But again, it is the, the genuineness and, and sincerity of your heart that, that matters, right? But now once you become a Christian, your life becomes about growing in relationship with Jesus, growing in relationship with your heavenly father and with the Holy Spirit. And, and that happens as you love him. You grow in relationship with Jesus as you show your love to him and you show your love to him as you obey him. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him. Listen to that. My father will love him. So again, although God the Father loves us all unconditionally in one dimension of love, the heavenly father, there's like a, a deeper dimension or a deeper manifestation. And again, I, as I've already explained, we can see this in our love for our own children, that when our children are, are living as they're supposed to be living, we feel a closeness to them that we don't feel if they're just living a disobedient, ungodly, unproductive, unfruitful life, right? When our children are pleasing to us because they're living good and thoughtful and upright lives and obedient lives, and obviously, if they're young children, they're still under our care and under our roof. We're more pleased with them when their behavior is good. And our love will manifest to them in a different way, right? It'll manifest in our pleasure instead of our, our discipline, right? If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him. So there's an aspect of the father's love, God the father's love, that opens up when God the father sees us obeying Jesus and walking with Jesus, and living our lives unto Jesus, that it almost spurs his heart of love toward us. And, and again, I want to I I make clear that, again, this is a, a deeper dimension of his love. He loves us all unconditionally, just like, again, we do our own children. When one child behaves well and the other doesn't, we don't love one more, right? But there is a deeper dimension of our love toward the obedient child. Hopefully that makes sense. My father will love him. We unlock a deeper love of the father. We'll experience a deeper love of the father when we obey Jesus. Again, I'm not talking perfectly here. We're not talking religion, May. We're talking relationship. This is the meaning of relationship. A relationship you care about, you do try to be pleasing to the other person. Um, my father will love him. And look what he says here. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now hear, hear this. He said, and we will come to him. Now he says we, again, Jesus and the father are equal in the fact that they're both God. The father has a higher position. Okay. The father has a higher quote leadership position in the Trinity. But in essence, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit are all equal. They're all God. But he says, my father will love him and we will come to him or her 
and make our home with him. The more you obey Jesus, the more it, it, it just sparks the love of God the Father, the love of God the Son. Our love for Jesus and obeying Jesus, it says, and we will come and make our home with him. This is not talking about going to heaven because we go to them. We go to Jesus and the Father when we go to heaven, right? But here it says, and we will come and make our home with him. The depth of your relationship with God the Father and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit will grow so deeply that the Father and the Son will actually come and be at home with you. What does that mean? They'll want to be around you. They'll want to spend time with you. And of course, right? When we're obedient children to our Heavenly Father, of course He enjoys being around us more, okay? What parent enjoys being around a rebellious, disrespectful, right? Just disobedient child. I don't enjoy that, okay? No parent does. We enjoy it when our children obey us, right? Do you enjoy the back talk of your children? No, you don't. And, and so it says the more we obey Jesus and the Father, the more at home they are. Again, we always have relationship with them, but the more intimate we'll experience their presence by our obedience. I mean, in the church today, there's just may a, a huge move, right, Esther? We talk about the presence, the presence, the presence, the presence. And man, I do want the presence of God in my life. But the presence of God does not come by what we do on Sunday morning, singing songs and listen to the preacher. Okay, that's a good thing. Again, and we ought to do that. And there is a, an aspect of the presence that we experience there. The presence of your father, your heavenly father and Jesus will increasingly come as you walk in greater devotion and in greater obedience and greater intimacy with Jesus. None of us are going to do this perfectly when we sin and we do more than we know the more we have a lifestyle of repentance and just coming before Jesus and asking for forgiveness. Again, this is how we're going to grow and be at home, kind of move in the, in the rhythm of the Father and the Son. And just, you know, it's, it's exciting. Verse 24. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Do you see the matter-of-fact words? If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Verse 23. Verse 24, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. It's not rocket science, right? So to the extent that you obey the word of God, the teaching of Jesus, the Bible, is the extent to which you love him. Now again, this has nothing to do with your salvation. Your salvation comes from receiving Jesus' love for you, okay? Um, and... You know, so as, as, as God's children, we can either have a, a lifestyle, Matthew, of, of loving him and showing him our love by obeying him, or we can be children that, that don't really love him because we have little regard for, for what he's told us to do and how he's told us to live and what he's told us to believe, right? He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Again, profound statement 
Imagine you're in the room and he says, these words that you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Jesus is saying, I'm speaking the very words of God the Father. That's why we say this all the time. It's only in Jesus Christ. Okay? You can just take the word religion out of it. Okay? As biblical Christians, we don't even really believe in religion. We believe in relationship. In deep, intimate relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But it can only be in Jesus because it's Jesus who's given you the words of God the Father. So what am I saying? I'm saying that if you're not in Jesus Christ today, okay, if you're if you have some type of your own view or you're agnostic, you're just you're not sure what's out there, right? You you just say you don't know. Um, or if you're any other religion, if you're Hindu, if you're Buddhist, if you're Muslim, right? Um, if you're some kind of new age, again, then you you have no connection or no possibility of a connection to God. I said before, I understand that sounds intolerant, but these are the very words of Christ himself. In this chapter in verse 6, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So by sharing this, we're not being intolerant, we're being loving. Because it's only in Jesus that you can experience this oneness, this at homeness. If you look at every other religion, there is no relationship with God. If you look at Hindus, if you look at Muslims, if you look at Buddhists, again, all of them are trying to appease a holy God by living a good lifestyle. But there's no concept of deep intimacy and relationship and oneness and God being your father and Jesus being your Lord. In biblical Christianity, you actually have this relationship with the creator of the universe, with the triune God. Mm. Verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you. So Jesus is going to, it's an important verse, verse 25. Jesus says, all this I have spoken while still with you. So he makes clear to them, I am still with you now, and I'm giving you all these words, all this truth, all this reality, all these facts, while he's still with them. Verse 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So once again, he's bringing in the Holy Spirit now. This is an incredible verse. In this verse, we have the Trinity. Now again, the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible but we have a triune God. One God represented in three distinct individual persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we see them all in this verse. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, Jesus calls him the Counselor because the Spirit of God lives in us when we receive Jesus as Savior. He comes to live in us, joins himself to us, actually regenerates us and gives us eternal life. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So again, Jesus is going to the Father. He'll ascend to the Father. He asks the Father. The Father sends God the Holy Spirit, but in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit comes, right? He will send him in my name. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in Jesus' name, 
will teach you all things. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to teach you U.S. history. doesn't mean he's going to teach you to drive a car. He'll teach you all things related to God. He's going to take the teaching of Jesus. Jesus, during his earthly life, right, and during these last three and a half years, has discipled his disciples. Now the Holy Spirit's going to come and continue that teaching. He's not going to start it over. He's going to build on what Jesus has told them. And he says he will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit will teach us all things pertaining to Jesus and God and God the Father. And will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is consistently reminding you of Jesus. Driving you to Jesus. Driving you to the scriptures. The word of God. Okay? Wow. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Again, a profound statement. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. Isn't peace just the greatest thing? Peace and joy and just, just to be at peace. Doesn't it just sound good? Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. This is remarkable. To understand the peace of Jesus, he's about to be crucified here in about 15 hours, maybe. Tortured. Have spikes nailed through his hands and feet. Be whipped to an, and, and just beaten and bloodied and just have his body ripped open from whips and chains. Have a crown of thorns smashed into his head. And yet he's at peace. It's incomprehensible. We wouldn't even want to be talking right now, right? If, if we knew that we were headed for such a torturous, inconceivable death, we again, and yet, again, we wouldn't even want to be, we just want to be alone, right? But yet Jesus is still building them up and giving them peace. Again, it's a picture of such love and power. There's no words for it. Only God. Could be like this, right? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Don't you want that peace of Jesus that you could be at peace, Papa, in these situations? Don't you want this peace, Chloe? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And then he's gonna, gonna make it clear. I do not give to you as the world gives. For the most part, even as Christians, we, we look for the peace that the world gives, right? Financial security just gives us peace. That's not what should give us peace. It should be Jesus, right? Having the bills paid gives us peace. Being in good health gives us peace, right? Having our circumstances the way we like them gives us peace. It certainly gives me peace. And Lord Jesus, I do ask you to forgive me. Forgive us, Lord, when again, we just... We look for the peace that the world can give us. And, and oftentimes that peace is based on lies. The world will give you peace based on lies, not truth. So Jesus makes it clear, I do not give to you as the world gives. And then he says to them again, as he said, in, I think it's verse one, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Is that verse 1 of chapter 14? Yeah, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. 
Trust in God, trust also in me. 27. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Again, he's concerned about them and their hearts and their trouble and their fears. And he's about to be tortured. He's about to become sin. Look at the love of Christ here. Who, Kristen, would have such concern for everybody else when he's about to go through what he's about to go through is just the picture of our king. And it just makes you want to worship him. Verse 28, you heard me say I am going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Look at what he says there. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. I mean, Jesus has come. He's God. He became a man. He's lived on this earth 33 and a half years. He served his disciples. He has done everything for them. And he came from the Father. Now he's getting to go back to the Father. And so what he's saying is, if you love me, you'd be, you'd basically be happy for me, right? You'd be, you'd be happy that I get to go back and be with my Father where I want to be. But they're just upset that they're not going to have him anymore, right? If you love me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, Stephen. You'd be excited for me. You'd be like, man, Jesus, that's exciting. You'll get to be back with the Father. But no, all we care about is you're leaving us and we get it, right? I don't want to lose Jesus. But yet he told me, listen, I'm, it's going to be better for you because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to speak on my behalf. He's going to remind you of me and he's going to carry on the teaching from now to the rest of your lives and for all time until Jesus returns. Bam. And he makes this statement, for the Father is greater than I. Now just let that, let that hover in your mind, Jesse. For the Father is greater than I. Okay. Hopefully none of y'all, or I don't ever have to say, because Jesus is greater than I. You don't say, Dave. The Father is greater than, only God could make such a statement. Now when Jesus says this again, he's not saying greater in essence. He's saying greater in position, right? The quarterback is the leader of the football team. Okay, he leads the offense. Is that right? He has a greater position of leadership. He calls the play. He executes the play. But he's not greater in essence or in person than any of the players. Does that make sense? Um, the a general in the army certainly is greater than a private, or what are they? Captains and colonels and you know and sergeants and lieutenants and in all the different positions, right? A general is greater in position, but he's not greater in essence, or she's not greater in essence. It's, you know, they're all human beings. So when he says, for the father is greater in I, he's greater in, again, position. The Trinity position, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that it's kind of a funny statement. For the father is greater in I, it's kind of assumed that the father is greater than everybody, right? Unless you got some problems, you know that God the father is greater than you. But to look at a room full of people and say, the father is greater than I, 
you, you got to be God to say it. Again, who would say such a thing? Who believes it's necessary to say such a thing? And he's wanting to make it clear that the father is greater in position than, than, than he is. Again, not greater in essence. Do you see that? Hopefully that makes sense. Well, the father is greater in I. No, no one has ever had to say that. Only when you're God and of the same essence would you need to say that. You know, you ne- if, someone, if someone ever says to you, you know what, Jesus is greater than me, they, they got some problems, okay? Because it, it, why, why does that even need to be said? Jesus is so much greater than you, there are no words. You and I are like a roach compared to Jesus, right? But Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are all equal in the fact that they're God. So, verse 29. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. So again, he's telling them, I'm telling you this now. All this is going to happen. The Spirit of God's going to come. I am going to be taken from you. Okay? I'll return in the form of my Holy Spirit, and he will remind you of me. He'll remind you what I've said, and he'll take over this discipleship process. I'm telling you now, so you remember I told you, so that when it comes to pass, it will increase and refine your faith. Right, Peyton? Verse 30. I will not speak with you much longer. Again, he's only got, he's only going to speak with them another few hours. And then he's going to be arrested in the garden of uh, coming out of the garden of Gethsemane. And um, again, he's going to be taken, tried, beaten, tortured, crucified, and raised from the dead on Sunday morning. Thank you, Jesus. I will not speak with you much longer. For the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. Satan had no hook in Jesus. Satan wasn't pushing Jesus to the cross. Jesus chose to go to the cross. Jesus never sinned. He's perfect. He's holy. He never had a wrong thought, spoke a wrong word, or did a wrong action. Utterly perfect and sinless. And he says clearly that Satan has no hold on him. If not for Jesus, Satan has a hold on every single person in the world. It's only in Jesus Christ, receiving Jesus Christ, that the devil does not have a hold on you or a claim on you. Because Jesus paid that claim at the cross. Sin is a claim of the devil. The devil led Adam and Eve into sin. And his claim is that he owns us because of sin. We were redeemed by Jesus. We were bought by Jesus. He paid the price and the punishment for our sin. Satan has no hold on Jesus. He says that he has no hold on me. But if you're not in Jesus Christ today, he does have a hold on you. So give your life to Jesus Christ today. And Satan will have no hold on you either. Because Jesus will have paid the debt, the penalty for all of your sins, past, present, and future at the cross. Verse 31, but the world must learn. And now he says the world. Everyone in the world. That's why we do what we do as ministers, as teachers, preachers church leaders, pastors, elders, but the world must learn. The world must learn about Jesus. The world must learn about Jesus. That's why we do what we do, is the world must learn. But the world must learn that I love the Father. Everyone in the world needs to understand that it's Jesus 
that's one with God the Father, he is himself God the Son, is one with God the Holy Spirit. And the world has to learn this. And that it was love for the Father, in obedience to the Father, that Jesus willingly became a human man and gave his life for the sin of the world. The world, every human person in the world, needs a Savior. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him, trusts in him, relies on him, is clinging to him, shall not perish in hell, but have everlasting life. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. So again, you have to know Jesus as your Savior. And the more you walk with Jesus, the deeper intimacy you'll have with God the Father, with God the Son, Jesus, and with God the Holy Spirit. And in the meaning of life, really the purpose of our lives is to grow in deeper relationship and in deeper intimacy and experiencing the presence of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We need to go to church. We want to worship him. We want to praise him. We want to sing to him. Worship is, is not just singing in church. It's everything we do. And again, worship is really defined in our love for Jesus, which is defined by our obedience to him. And I'll say again, we don't, we don't do this perfectly. I am consistently see areas of my life that are not what they ought to be, that are not in perfect obedience to Jesus by any means. And, and, and I'm sorry, Lord. I mean, I'd have to take a vacation day to, to talk about. But, uh, but I'm excited that I get to repent and continue to walk more intimately and more closely and more obediently with him. Come now, let us leave. And so from this point, he's getting up, they're preparing. And as I said, whatever the, the next 15, 16, and 17 could be said as they're walking out, as they're on the way, as they stop, as they're getting their things together. But Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your favor. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for sending the Holy Spirit, Lord. And we thank you that you're home with the Father. But Lord, we thank you that you willingly left the Father and became a human man for us and lived a perfect life for us, died a perfect death for us. We thank you that you're alive and risen and you've given us your word. Father, we just worship you and thank you and praise you today. We thank you that you're our father, our daddy, and uh, we just love you and honor you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to go ahead of us now. Seal the words to our heart. Remind us of Jesus Convict us to live for Jesus and to love for Jesus and to give for Jesus and to forgive for Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.